What I miss about France is some of the food. I do miss like the selection of cheese that we have and the cheap wine that we get that's better than the cheap wine that we get here. <laughs> Welcome to I Am An Immigrant, the podcast about people who have come to the UK from somewhere else. I'm your host, Christine Bacon. And yes, dear listener, I am an immigrant. There are very few TV programs my partner and I watch with our kids who are 10 and 7 years old, but this year, season 7 of The Great British Sewing Bee was one of them. My guest today was a finalist and consistently wowed the judges with his made-to-measure garments. It is, of course, Raph from France. For our international listeners, The Great British Sewing Bee is a BBC reality TV show in which 12 amateur sewers compete in increasingly difficult sewing and design challenges against the clock until only three are left for the final. Raf is a textile artist who works mostly on films and lives with his partner Keith in London. We talked about Raf's many hobbies, how his sense of humour often does not translate here, and why he never lost his cool on TV. I hope you enjoy our chat. Hi, my name is Raf and I am an immigrant. Welcome to the show, Rav. I'm so excited to have you on. Well, thanks for having me. My recollection of the sewing bee when you were on it, it seemed like you had like a hundred different hobbies. Not only were you like this magnificent designer and maker of clothes, but you also played lead trumpet. You also do gymnastics. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything you didn't mention? Is there anything we're missing here? Uh, I guess there's quite a few things that I like to try and do, and I do them for like a few months and then <laughs> so that I do this, but I actually, actually don't really do this. Um, but yeah, there was, they've mentioned, uh, like you said, playing the trumpet, uh, which I've been doing since I was six. I've been doing gymnastics, not so much lately because of the last year and also because of work. I love, I don't know, anything crafty, I quite like, and yeah, and I quite, I like, I don't know, with work as well, I like trying new techniques at work of like, I don't know, knitting or dyeing or just, yeah, just being curious and yeah. trying to entertain myself. No, it sounds like you like to give yourself a challenge, that's for sure. I guess, yeah, looking back, I've always, yeah, tried new, like new hobbies and new activities, new sports. I did fencing for years as a kid and then was bored so I did a bit of swimming for a while and then a bit of uh, roaring you just met yeah just, well all I mean is that you know you made the rest of us feel quite inadequate it's all, it's all, <laughs> you know I was like I was like oh you know during lockdown I started running and I ran six miles like I thought that was an achievement and then I was like okay so Raph took up sewing and you know nearly won the great British sewing bee okay so you are from France Yes, yes, I am French. Which part of France were you, were you born in and where did you grow up? So I was born in the east, um, in a tiny little town called Laxou. I didn't grow up there. Uh, my parents moved to a, a different town in the west called Cholet. And so that's where I grew up from age two. And I was there all the way throughout my teenagehood. And then when I was 18, I moved out and started studying uh, in a city and then another city and then uh, Paris and then moved on to Berlin and then London. It's funny, really, lately I've been actually quite th looking back and thinking back about Cholet. Because um, so Cholet is historically, it's a weaver's town. Uh, which is sort of like foretelling for what's happening to me right now. Mm -hmm. um, 
And yeah, looking back, it was very happy childhood. Shola is really nice. My parents were super supportive and very creative as well. And always were happy for me to try all of these hobbies that I do. <laughs> yeah, I had lots of friends. Going to school was just like average, I would say. Like, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it either. Just as long as I, I had friends. But yeah, I played music on the side of school. So in France, you can, you don't really do music at school. You do music on the side um, if you want. So initially, I wanted to play the viola, which is like a bigger violin. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, I did it for, I think, like a trimester or semester and actually didn't pan out well. And then somehow somebody said, oh, you should just play the trumpet. And that's, that's who you are. And then I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll try it. I was six. And then first lesson, they gave me a trumpet and I was like, yeah, yeah, just carry on. And I've been playing since. Gosh. Yeah, it's it is fairly young. Yeah, yeah, that um, is, that is usually young. The, I think when I was a kid, it was mainly the buzz, you know, when that you have to make to be able to play and how it tickles as well. And then <laughs> eventually, I think when I was a bit of an older kid, I didn't like playing. But I think around my teenagehood, I really got a nick to it. I, I really enjoyed it because I used to go to school with people. I used to also go to orchestra. And so we were quite a tight net of friends. Yeah, that's how I really got into it. For me, it was like social and I was everyday life, hanging out with my friends, playing music and then go to concerts. And yeah. So in France, you, you finished secondary school at age 17, 18 with a baccalaureate. So when I got that, I wanted to be a trumpet teacher and soloist which all the way through secondary school, that's what I wanted to do. And then the day of the results of the baccalaureate, I decided actually maybe it's a bit too scary and decided to focus on more studies. I don't know why I decided to do medicine school for one year. I just, so I went to medicine school for one year just because my dad was a doctor. Well, he's a doctor. And most of my friends were going there. So I was like, I just follow them. I guess it was fear of losing my friends, so I just followed them to medicine school. And after two weeks of that, I realized that's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> my parents said, you have to carry on the whole year at least. And so throughout that year, I took the time to carry on with the studies, but also found out what it was that I wanted to do if it wasn't music. And so during that year, I took some drawing lessons and I applied to architecture schools and a few product design schools and I got yeah accepted to one for the following year which was uh, so it's interior design and product design and I did that for it was five years and yeah I loved it it was great it was very creative it was lots of projects to work on and get your brain thinking of like you know materials and shapes and colors so yeah absolutely absolutely loved it Basically, I wanted to live in Paris, so I carried on studying in Paris whilst also working uh, in various agencies. Sure. So, and, um, so why did you want to live in Paris? Uh, I guess I, by that time I realized that I was gay, first of all, and coming from a little town, I wanted to move out and express myself in somewhere where you're a bit more anonymous and a bit more accepted for who you are. And so, yeah, that's why I went to Paris initially. Um, and after a while, Paris is great fun. It's very pretty as well. Yeah. Uh, lots of good work also to, to be, to be there. Um, but I think after a while, uh, it's also quite French in the sense that it's quite, um, narrow minded and you have to be someone or 
everybody would look at you being like, who do you think you are? You need you need to know what you're doing or you have to have the credits for your the people above you, basically. So it was quite restricted as well in a way. Okay. Um, <laughs> so did you did you find that before you went to Paris you experienced homophobia? I came out just before moving to Paris, if I remember. I never really experienced homophobia right in my face, but more like the casual things that you hear at school growing up, like kids being like, oh, that's so gay. Even in France, that happens. Yeah. Um, and I think back then, you you take it for this is reality. This is what people do and say. So you don't really question it. And then I think through my studies, I went from a smaller town to a bigger town where you get to meet people who are a bit more inclusive and a bit more understanding. And you get to meet people who are like you, like you as well. So you start to be like, ah, oh, actually, yeah, that, that wasn't right. Like, mm. And that's why... I didn't feel entirely who I wanted to be and so or like who I was really. It's eye opening really move up to a bigger city, I would say. Well for me it clearly was. And uh yeah, you start questioning things a different way and you realise that you can have the life that you want. I think I was in a good situation. Like my parents are liberal and they were completely honest with me. And since I was a kid, I clearly remember tra- on the travel once actually we were in London, traveling like on a holiday, visiting friends and family. And I clearly remember my mom saying, if one of my kids is gay, that's fine. Like that I just want them to be happy. And so since that age, I sort of knew in the back of my head that I was, I was going to be fine with my parents. So when I came out to them, it was absolutely fine. They already knew it. Yeah. They were well. just like, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no surprise. I think I remember my sister being super happy. Oh, good. Because <laughs> she finally, she was like, finally is out and we can talk about it. So you spent, did you say a year in Paris? Uh, a couple of a years couple in of Paris. Years. What was the most fun thing you did in Paris? I think it has to be that internship for a lamp designer. He used to make lamps with feathers. Um, it's quite fun. It was just like hands-on, hands-on job where you would just glue feathers on lampshades. <laughs> But it was great. Like there was lots of events. He would have like, um, he would release a new product. So there would be lots of people coming to the shop and lots of drinks involved. Yeah. And just um, also being very creative and starting to realize how the industry works, the design industry. So meeting clients and also suppliers. And yeah, it was, it was great fun. And Paris through that PR slash design angle is great fun. Then Berlin called you. The bigger picture is that my whole family tend to travel a bit more, as in <laughs> my two brothers and my sister have also been living abroad. And I think it's a seed that's been sowed by my parents when we were kids. They've always said, when you grow up, you need to go abroad. You need to live 5,000 miles away from us to be your own person. And so we've all, all four of us, we've all traveled a lot throughout those years and so uh, after being in Paris for a while I was I just wanted to experiment a bit I guess and I jumped at the first occasion that I could find and in this occasion it was me meeting a boy and thinking this is it so I just went and lived between Berlin and Paris for like half a year and then thought yeah I'm just going to move to Berlin and sort of followed my heart in that that sense yeah Um, but Berlin is a very cool city though it is quite a fun fun city, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's exciting and vibrant. Yeah, different um, to yeah. Paris, very different to Paris. Very different Yeah, Paris, yeah, yes. my sister lives there. It's, it's a very different vibe. It's kind of like, in Paris, I, I notice people tend to look good, like they like to present yes. themselves well, whereas in Berlin, it's yes. like, it's a mark of pride if you look bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you look like, you know, you just rolled out of bed. Like, 
Um, sorry to so be putting that in, but kind yes, of that's I... true. <laughs> <laughs> and did you speak any German or how was your English then? So I studied German at school and I thought my German was going to be good enough, but uh, so no, he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't fluent at all and I was mostly in English and American circles. So I would speak only in English. So you were fluent English at that time? Yeah, I guess I was good in English and German at school. And then English stuck around because I would watch everything in English on TV. The first year was like part-time Paris, part-time Berlin. I think altogether it was over two years, but the last six months I was also part-time London, part-time Berlin. So what brought you to London then? So I felt like in Berlin, because I couldn't speak fluently German, um, I had met loads of friends there, which were fantastic. So I felt I couldn't really engage properly because of not speaking German. Um, and also the opportunities w- weren't as great as I thought, especially in creative circles, which sounds maybe con- contradictive, but maybe it was just my own experience and maybe the place I was in at the time. And so London sounded very attractive and I could speak English. Mm-hmm. So we came to London once um, during whilst living in Berlin and I realized actually I want to be here. This is so much easier. I don't have to struggle through meeting new people. I, it felt really natural. Well, in Berlin, it felt, I felt like I never was cool enough for Berlin, where London, it doesn't matter. No, no one is cool, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Listen to that, guys. Nobody's cool here. <laughs> this is what immigrants so, think so of you. It's a different kind of pretense, I guess. Yeah. And I think to me, I couldn't put that wearing black and looking cool all the time in Berlin, where London, I could just wear whatever I want and say whatever I want. And yeah, no one's going to say anything be people to you. Yeah. would like it and people who wouldn't, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized this only now, which is, first of all, I think I've always wanted to be in London, even as a kid, because growing up, like I said earlier, we came on holiday here with my parents, uh, my whole family. So there's six of us. It really stuck to my mind that we came to London and it was such a vibrant town, well, city, and um, there was so much to see and so much to do. And I think from that age, there was the idea that it was quite good to come here. And then another thing was work as well. Um, So back in Berlin, I got the chance to work for somebody who was working in a film and she wanted, she just wanted somebody able to paint on props for a film. And so I came in for a few weeks to do that job and I realized, wow, um, I can do this. Somehow my skills from product design and interior design were transposable. And so coming to London, where the film industry in Europe is the biggest uh, at the moment, it made sense as well, yeah. work-wise. And I had contacts in Berlin that also were in London as well at the time. And so it felt natural. And I found a job in the film industry in London whilst moving here. And um, so, yeah, it, it sort of almost clicked. Hi everyone, just a quick plug. For those listeners based in London, my theatre company Ice and Fire has announced a new production this week and it's open for bookings. Links are in the show notes. It was supposed to be on around a year and a half ago, but like so many other shows, COVID has kept it on hold until now. It's called We Like to Move It, Move It and... As the title would suggest, it's a fun and accessible examination of the reasons most of us think immigration controls are necessary. The cast, director and writers are all first-generation immigrants, very in tune with this podcast. It's going to be on at various venues, including community spaces, and the ticket prices are tiered, so it suits all budgets. 
Do have a look, follow us on social media for updates and behind-the-scenes stuff, and please come and see it and say hello. Okay, back to the conversation. Is it textile artist? Is that what your job yeah. title is now? Yeah, it's um, it's not a job. It's not a title that I created or that I invented and I want to call myself this. It's just that the official title in the film industry. <laughs> when did you arrive in London? What year was that? Oh, yeah, uh, 2012, right after 2012. the Olympics. Yeah. Okay, so it's been quite a while now. Nine, nine years? Nine years coming up, yeah. And when did you meet your, your current partner, Keith? Keith and I met seven years ago now, and it happened very naturally in a pub uh, in East London, which used to be called the Nelson's Head. Sadly, it doesn't exist anymore. Well, oh. well it's been rebranded, and it's a different pub. Um, right. It used Not to be a same. great pub to go out to in East London, where lots of um, uh, queer people would go. And it was, yeah, it was very vibrant and very exciting to be there. I just saw him from across the bar and I thought, wow, this is the most handsome man ever and I just need to chat to him. (laughs) And uh, so somehow, yeah, we started chatting and after a few months, um, uh, we actually started dating and uh, he helped me reconstruct myself in a way because I was still a bit damaged from a previous relationship. And um, yeah, it went on from there and... Love happened, and yeah, we've been together seven years. He's British, right? Yeah, correct. Did you find that you were quite different culturally? Oh yeah, God, I think culturally uh, we're completely different, but I think I quite like that. It's um, it's interesting because you get to learn from the culture. Well, I, I do for sure from him, and I hope he does from me as well for the French culture a bit as well. I think there's a, a few funny things. Uh, the one that strikes right now is step to this day humor. <laughs> I think in French I'm quite funny, but it doesn't translate to English and vice versa. <laughs> okay. So he sort of looks at you blankly sometimes. And... Yeah, yeah, being like, uh, oh, yeah, of course, yeah, don't try humour ever again, you know, it's not, it's not that great. <laughs> and, then, and then when he does it as well, when he tries to be funny to me, I right. find it a, a bit odd. <laughs> okay. But, but I think it's also, yeah, it's British humour, which I start to get now. Yeah, yeah. So what, what's different about British humour? I never really thought about what's different exactly. I think French is more about the situations and also plays on words. Like we're really big on making something sound like something else. And in English, it doesn't translate at all. And I think in English, maybe humor is a bit more more witty and clever and um, also about situations, but not like comedy situation is more I don't, I don't know the irony and the sarcasm and the things like that yeah and i find english think that english humor is the most renowned humor on earth um but i guess it's true of every nation that's <laughs> true except that probably the germans the germans don't think they're funny i don't <laughs> <laughs> i don't think they do i've never no, heard a german but... say yeah we're hilarious so the pandemic hit in 2020. Yeah. And is it true that was the first time you started so, okay? The truth is that I have played with a sewing machine before. Uh, I have made myself that uh, romper suit. Well, actually, I made five of them. I set myself a challenge for Pride 2018 or even 2017 to make me and four of my friends those romper suits in five days. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll try it because <laughs> why not? I had nothing else yeah. to do and I work in textiles so I thought I could whiz it up but um, yeah. I never have had any training in sewing and so I guess the shortest the the fastest and the most appealing way to describe me on the sewing bee was to say that I've started sewing in lockdown but the actual truth is that I started 
teaching myself how to sew properly in lockdown. Where before, what I've made before was very not well done at all. It was just like straight stitches and no buttonholes, just like very quickly done. You were just done. trying it out. Yeah, it was just like yeah. assembling pieces of fabric together and hopefully it would fit. One thing that's for sure is that um, I was the least experienced. All I had done before applying to the show was those romper suits and a jacket and, and that was it. It was very poorly done. And so when I applied to the show, I set myself the challenge to be on it. So I wanted to teach myself loads and loads and loads during the application process. And so during that time, I learned a lot about construction and various seams that you can use and uh, various fabrics. So I really like did my best to try and level up and have a chance to to stay on the show. (laughs) Yeah. So were you like in between, were you like practicing and researching and doing, spending all your time doing that? Yeah, completely. Amazing. When you were on the sewing meet, tell me, is this a raft thing or is it a French thing, right? You seemed to be so calm, like you had it together, (laughs) even though I knew like this is hard, this is hard to do, right? This is a massive challenge. You always seem to be like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just double stitch this now and then I'll just like do this. I was like, how is he doing that? What is that? Is that just your personality? I think I wasn't that calm, but I guess it didn't show it on TV. (laughs) I think there's been a few a few times where I was, yeah, dreadfully uh, anticipating the end of the challenge. Um, and I think there's an episode where you can see on my face how disappointed I was. Oh, God, I've not finished this. But yeah, in general, I'm quite a calm person. I, I don't like drama. I don't like um, people like overwhelmed easily. I tend to keep calm, uh, keep a cool head, okay. underplay a bit the things as well sometimes. So that's just how you've always been? I think that's my thing, yeah. Because I think everybody else cried. Like, <laughs> everybody, there was tears, drama, you know, and, you know, with, editors love that kind of stuff, right, for these, for these shows. But I just never saw you crack. I think I was laughing a lot, yeah. I oh, had a, really? Yeah, I had a great were. time, honestly. It was such a good, oh, good. good great and time. And so, so how did it work? So you would do, like, one day for the, what's the first challenge uh, again? The challenge and transformation. The challenge and then the transformation challenge. That was one day. And yes. then you'd have a night and then come back for the made to measure. So right. what did you have a little ritual that you would do that night um, before the next day? <laughs> uh, what I would do, I would uh, wash all my clothes because you have to wear the same clothes next day, put them on the on the washing line. It's, lucky enough, it was hot enough. Well, in that hotel we were in, it was boiling hot and I was on the 11th floor, which was all of the heat was coming to me. So Rising. everything dried yeah. really quickly, which was great because I was clean every day on set. <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, we just like go straight to bed and give a quick quick call to Keith to keep him updated. Or also, so sometimes... did you need to wash your clothes for you? Oh, no, no, no. Well, you know, we're all adults and we have like washing machine in the hotel. So, I mean, come on, you're the talent. <laughs> you shouldn't be washing your clothes. That's crazy. Maybe it was a COVID thing. Was it a COVID thing? Who knows? Maybe, yeah. Anyway, or... I'm not impressed, BBC. Uh... Um... <laughs> So you made it, you made it right to the final. And were you surprised by that? Completely surprised, but also because you live, you live through it. You, I never really like looked back when I was on it. Um, all I was doing was living day by day. And then you expect, not your expectations, but your, your desire changed basically. Initially, when I left home to go on the show, I thought just survive the first, first episode. And I, as we got home, you just go, oh, I want to go all the way to the quarterfinals. And then you threw it and you, mm, I want to survive this. Oh my God, I want to win this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I was convinced you were going to win. I was convinced. Really? My daughter, Rosa, I'm sorry to say, wanted Serena to win. Serena was <laughs> Serena was her favourite. Oh, well, um, um, and I was like, oh, no, Raph's going to get there. Raph's going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I wanted Serena to win too. So oh, <laughs> all good. Okay. Well, it was the final. It was... Close margins, as they as they say. So congratulations on your performance in that. And has it led to anything? Has it made you start thinking differently? Yeah, so I never really thought about what I could get out from this because I applied initially just for the fun. And I was like, yeah. I'm not interested in social media. I don't, don't really care about those things. And I've got a career, which is great already and fulfilling me. And so I didn't really have a plan on what I wanted from this. And, but then now that it's over, there's a few... People getting in touch and a few things that I'd like to do, as in what I really enjoyed on the show was coming up with a concept and fitting to a brief, and which is also what I trained in, in at school yeah, yeah. on a different topic. And um, yeah, that's what I'd like to do now. Uh, I really enjoyed the design process. And well, there is things coming up of me designing some, some garments for some people. Let's go back to France. Let's think about France again. <laughs> now that you're here and you're settled in the UK, what do you miss about France when you think about it? What I miss about France is um, some of the food, although we yep. could find it here. But yeah, I, I do miss like the selection of cheese that we have and the cheap wine that we get that's better than the cheap wine that we get here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also miss, I think, mostly my close friends and family that is there and sometimes I wish they would just move here and we could all live here <laughs> thing has been amplified with the pandemic with we had to stay home and don't do anything and thinking well this is also time off and usually time off I would take the time to go and meet them <laughs> and so yeah. are you able to go to France this summer or no no this summer no because I'm working until uh, I'm on this film until the end of November and so yeah I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon have you seen them have you seen them the last year and a half uh no so I've not seen any of my family or friends well I mean I've seen my friends in London but uh, not my friends from France I think what we'll try and do maybe is to meet abroad or maybe I'll go to France, meet meet everyone in Paris or, or I'm not sure yet. What do you not miss about France or Berlin? What I do not miss about France is Paris and uh, <laughs> their people. <laughs> Sorry, <Okay>. Paris. <laughs> Sorry, Paris. Uh, it's, it's just <laughs> what I mean is um, sometimes the uptightness that there is in Paris and the, that, that feeling of being like, who are you? Who do you think you are? is what I got from Paris. And in Berlin, what I don't miss is, yeah, that coolness that I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) So what do you value now that you're here? What do you value about the UK? Wow. Um, First of all, I am a citizen of the UK now. I'm British. Hooray! Did you do that test? Yeah, I did a life in the UK UK test. test. Yeah, 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 Um, which was quite fun. Um, Lots of knowledge that... Everybody should get, yes. <laughs> and did you did you swear your allegiance to the Queen? Uh, I swear allegiance to, was it to the Queen? Yeah, because you, di- you do it either to the Queen or to the Bible. Yeah, that's right. I think I, yeah, I did it to the Queen, yeah. So, yeah, so after Brexit, I, I thought, yeah, I'd like to make sure I'm a citizen. Also, that I get a vote in everything here rather than being a, a lesser citizen and just being a settled status citizen. And so, yeah, I went through the steps of permanent residency, uh, do the tests and what, there's something else. Oh, the English test as well, you know, where you meet someone who makes sure that you can speak English. Um, How does that work? What do they do? 
I don't really remember because it's um it's just a bit silly. I guess to some people, some people who do ask to become citizen maybe don't speak English. But yeah, I just remember it being very casual. So you go to this office and there's someone who asks you very patronizing questions like, and so what do you do for a job? And where do you live? And how old are you? And okay, thank you. Bye-bye. What is your favorite color? So you were saying, sorry, my question was, what do you value about the UK? So you've become a citizen. Yes. You know, for me, I really like the parks here. The parks here really make me happy. (laughs) Um, And, you know, the open green spaces. And the pubs here are really good, like compared to where I come from. So during lockdown, we've discovered lots of national parks and uh, national trusts properties. And that's really beautiful. So we got a car two years ago and we often on weekends just like pick a destination and just discover the countryside. And it's so beautiful. Yeah, it does sound like you feel at home here. You feel settled. And that's partly to do with, you know, you're in a settled relationship, but also you feel like you fit in. You feel like you're part of the society, right? Yeah, I feel like here I found sort of like people that I can, I'm on the same level with and I work in an industry that's uh, very intense, but also very creative and very engaging. And there's a lot going on and I really enjoy it. But also there's a lot, but there's also a lot of options to not do anything as well. (laughs) And you can be who you want to be and you don't have to, to fit to a specific image that someone might have. And you can, yeah, just be who you are. Now, I definitely feel like a Londoner. I don't know if I feel in any way British do you actually feel British now that you're a British citizen yeah that is a good point actually because no I don't know what it means to be British um there's lots of values that you learn about when you take that test actually of like caring for your neighbor and um which is is it a value like of course you care for your neighbor (laughs) you can't really claim that as your nation's value also look after dogs of course (laughs) there's a lot of things like this so I'm, i'm not i'm a bit confused as to what british means i guess to me yeah like you said i am a londoner i've been here eight years and i love east london yeah it's eclectic it's uh cosmopolitan (laughs) yeah is it still a word i don't know You know, there is a history of of, Fre- of the French people, in inverted commas, having a healthy suspicion of British people and vice versa. Has that ever affected you? I think, yeah, to this day, there's still people going like, oh, you know, you're French or like lost in translation, which is sometimes, I used to think it's really annoying, actually, because it's just, I'm just saying something that is true to me. Like if I was criticizing someone or giving my opinion or something, I'd be like, oh my God, so rude, this is so French. And now I think I look, I look at it thinking, actually, I can use it in my, in my favor where I can, yeah, blame it on me being French if I'm rude. It's just because I'm French. Oh, okay. Well, actually, I'm rude because I wanted to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> so please, um, before we go, uh, Raph, please don't take up any more hobbies because you're already good at so many things. Tell me, what are you not good at? What are you, what are you bad at? I want to hear something you're bad at. Uh, Oh God, I'm terrible at collective sports. Like um, I'm watching football. I'm terrible at things like this and uh, big events where you have to gather like lots of people in the O2 arena. I'm terrible at these events. I don't like big crowds and I'm terrible at pop culture. I don't really listen to music much. Keith is quite the opposite. He's really good at pop songs and British culture from like 80s, 90s. Noughties. So I can learn a lot from him, but also often I just go, oh, I, I know you mentioned that name before, but I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, you'd be a good team on a trivia a trivia night because, you know, he'd have that knowledge and you'd have loads of other different kinds of knowledge. That's good. I often ask my guests before we sign off, like, what is a good night out for you? I think a good night out would be possibly with my friends from the orchestra, going for a few pints at the pub after a concert, or maybe just hanging out with our friends in our garden, having the pizza oven going and, yeah, enjoying nice company and nice um, discussion. Yeah. A simple life. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, thank you, Ralph. It's been lovely, lovely having you on the show. Nice to meet you. Um, and, yeah, thank you for, for making the time on your day off. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks so much to the very excellent and lovely Raf. I do recommend checking out Season 7 of The Sewing Bee and the other seasons. It's a treat to watch. Thanks to all of you out there who have listened and shared and reviewed. This is the last episode of Season 1, and I'm planning to come back later in the year with more conversations with people who used to live somewhere else and now live here. In the meantime, listen to the episodes you haven't listened to yet, tell your friends about it, and get in touch with your suggestions for new guests. Thanks so much to everyone who has given their time to this podcast. It is so appreciated. Thank you for listening and catch you later. Mm.